Everybody still good from last time? Good. It's awesome to be here when the bells play. And I saw there was a violin this morning. That was cool. Um, I have had a long weekend. Uh, I went to watch Beatrice yesterday, which is my niece, in case you weren't aware I had one. And uh, she requested slash demanded Olive Garden, and so we went there. Uh, And so that was fun. So there was uh, once a tough old cowboy. Not the football player, but an actual cowboy. And uh, he had a granddaughter, and she was very young, and she was really curious. And you know, I know this with Beatrice, you know how kids can be. They get to the why stage. Everything's why, why, why. And sometimes they don't grow out of that, but that's still cool. Uh, And so she went to him, and she's like, hey, how can I live to be as old as you? And, you know, he kind of laughed, because it's kind of a kid question. And he said, well, first thing you have to do is you pray every day, and you read your Bible, and then you sprinkle just a pinch of gunpowder in your oatmeal every morning. And, you know, her eyes got kind of wide, and he's like, no, no, trust me. And so she did. She took it to heart. She trusted him. Uh, And so she lived doing that every single day, religiously, until the age of 103. And so, amazing. And and when when she went home to heaven, she left behind 14 children, 39 grandchildren, 45 great grandchildren, 25 great great grandchildren, and a 40 foot hole where the crematorium used to be. Yeah, I like that one too. We are continuing the the series of Alive, in which we've been talking since Easter about the days that Jesus was alive on earth again, walking with his followers, talking to everyone, showing everybody who he was. I remember when Anne spoke one of the last times, this stuck with me from something she said in the contemporary service. Uh, She said that if it had been her when she came back, she would have went straight to the Pharisees and straight to Pilate and straight to Caesar and all these people. And they're like, hey, look. And I think about that. Because what Jesus did was very much the opposite. He went to his followers and he went to people to to bring them to him, to show them who he was. And now we get to the day of ascension, the day when he goes on to heaven. And so I want to read this again. This is from Acts uh, chapter 1, verses 6 through 15. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. And they are not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, for us, we hear that and we're like, yeah, that's what we're supposed to do. This is so awesome for them. This was shocking because until that moment, the message was mainly for the people in that area. It was for the people who who were considered God's people. It was for his chosen. And Jesus says, this is going to everybody now, guys. Everyone has a chance. And so it's on you to really, truly be my witnesses. And what's so cool, one of the things that's so cool about what he says, is when he says, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. It's not as a command, but as a, you're going to be my witnesses. You can do this. You have the chance. Now, as they go into this, they were probably aware that this was the last time that they'd see Jesus in his physical body. And so a lot of questions are going on. It's a very bittersweet moment. It's kind of like graduation, I would imagine, for for parents where 
you're so proud and so happy to have been a part of their life, to help them, to show them, to, to lead them. And then they're going off. Now, in the disciples' case, obviously, Jesus is the one that was showing and leading, but they know that he's leaving for a time. And so there's this feeling of hope, of joy, of knowing they were involved in something huge, mixed with sadness and wonder and all of these questions. And they knew the covenant that he'd given. They knew everything about the history. They knew the scripture because they'd walked with the scripture for three years. And so they knew the kingdom would be restored. They knew it would be fulfilled. And they knew that moment was special. And so they hoped for more. Because we always want just a little bit more when something is amazing, when something is awesome. Uh, back to Beatrice at Olive Garden. Um, she eats croutons. She has Alfredo sauce that she dips breadsticks in and croutons and grapes. The grapes don't go in the cheese. Um, and so she's eating all that and she's drinking her lemonade. And, you know, we're leaving. And uh, as we're leaving, she's like, hey. They didn't give us the chocolates because we always want a little thing more. And so she got the chocolates, but we always want a little thing more. And so the disciples wanted a little more. They wanted more information. In fact, from the moment that Jesus first said, I will return to now, the first question in the hearts, minds and voices of all believers from the disciples to Paul, to C.S. Lewis, to Billy Graham, to us is that's so awesome. And I believe you. Now, when is that going to be? Because we all want to know. We all want to be a part of it. We all want to see it. And I think we also know, and we've probably been taught, if everyone in the world knew when Jesus would come back, most people, not everybody, most people would wait until about 10 minutes before to get saved. And that's a very dangerous proposition. It's a very dangerous life to put it off, to put it off. But we know that. But on the other hand, there's another way to look at this too. Imagine for the disciples to find out that not only would it not be in their lifetime, but it would be well beyond. Would that discourage them a little bit? What would it do to their energy level? What would it do to, to the urgency of their message if they're like, well, we just have to, to kind of do our thing and then eventually it'll come out. Eventually he'll be back. What would it do what would it do to the people after them if the Christians between then and now had known it's not going to be in their lifetime? To their urgency, to, to their passion, to everything that they show, to knowing that it could be at any moment if they knew it's not for a while. What would it do to us? I go back again to where he says, you will be my followers. And he'd given commands and he was no stranger because he had all authority. But he said, you will be my followers because it's a statement of fact. It, it, it's the most natural thing in the world. When you're filled with the spirit, when you've given your life to him, it's natural. You can't help but to show him. You can't help but to have that passion. You can't help but to have that spark and take it out to everyone all the time to the ends of the earth. I have a quote about being a disciple. I'm just going to assume it's behind me. They could put literally anything up there. She could put children's pictures of me, and I would not know it. Although from the laughter, I probably would. <laughs> Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is not an effort of once a week or once a day. It is an effort of once and for all. 
Sometimes when we talk about being a disciple, about being a witness, we talk about it as a job or as a moment or I I want this opportunity or I need to study, I need to learn more so that I can be a disciple. I need to study, I need to learn more so I can witness. But it is an everyday, all the time thing. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect, thankfully, because we're not. But it is all the time. It's something that once we accept him, we get to do that. We get to live it. It's life. It's the very life. It's our identity. It's who we are. And we all wonder when he'll return. But when he returns is not nearly as important as the fact that he will return. That's what we're living for. That's what we're hoping for. That's what we're showing people. If it's in our lifetime, awesome. If it's not, awesome, because it's still going to happen. And it's going to show people who he is. And every knee will bow. But we get to share in that feeling of every knee bowing now. We get to be his disciples now. We get to be his church now. We get to do that every day. I know that we recently had the... uh, Taste of faith, like the fair where they, they show all the different ministries and people sign up. And sometimes that's really scary. In fact, nobody ever signs up for youth. Because teenagers, they're kind of scary, right? And you think, what if they ask me a question? Well, they're going to. But what if I don't know all the answers? Well, I'm going to give you a secret here. And this is about me and Andy and everyone else in the church. On staff and, and behind me and music and out there. Nobody has all the answers. Only God. But if we have him in our hearts and we are filled and we are living and growing our own faith and doing everything we can, that is being a disciple. It's not this special moment. Those are going to happen and that's awesome. But it is the day-to-day living for him, showing him, being like him that really and truly shows who he is. And, and the promise that he made to the disciples is the same promise to us. We get that same power, that same chance, that same calling. Not just on Sundays, not just on Tuesdays, not after work, but all the time. We get to do this. We get to live this to the ends of the earth. Now that doesn't mean that somebody's going to pull up with a bus after church and take you to the ends of the earth. Although a bus couldn't get you very far, really. But it means that to the ends of your earth, your world, the people in your life, the people that you meet, the people that you walk by, the people that you know, the people that you don't know, you get to be like Jesus to them. You get to be a disciple in the way that you live, in the way that you act, in the way that you show who he is. Just like the disciples did. Just like they got this chance. Uh, I want to go to the next verse here. After saying this, he was taken up uh, into a cloud while they were watching, but they could no longer, and they could no longer see him. As they trained, strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Now the cloud is, is awesome because it is a, a, an image similar to the Old Testament where uh, the cloud Shekinah, as you guys all know, would follow the Israelites or go ahead of the Israelites. And so Jesus is showing that. He's saying, hey, I'm going to be with God. This is my presence. This is his presence. We are a part of this. This is something for you. Now, Jesus had all the power and authority in the world. So he could have just disappeared. He could have just snapped his fingers. He didn't even have to snap his fingers. He could have just walked into a door and boom, he's gone. 
But he did it this way for them and for us. Because in those days that he walked on the earth after his resurrection, he would appear and reappear and disappear different places because he had a lot of work to do. But now he's showing them the finality of it. Not forever, but until he returns. And he's showing them that while he's really gone, he is going somewhere to prepare for them. He's going somewhere to show them that there is a heaven, that there is a life, that we have a chance. And he's not leaving us alone. Never leaving us alone. We have help. We have the spirit. We have his love. We have each other. We have the church. Now imagine being the disciples. Imagine everything they'd gone through, not just in their lives, but in those last 40 days, 50 days, from before the crucifixion to to now, everything they'd gone through, just the the, the amount of, of emotion on every level. They'd seen their friend and their savior die. They probably questioned a lot of things. They'd been scared. They'd not known what to do. And then they saw him come back again. And they knew that there was a future. They knew there was a hope. They knew that he was life. And then he says, hey, now you guys go and start the church. Go and be the church. And I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And so they knew this was an important moment. And they're just kind of standing there watching. It's kind of like if you are an NCAA basketball fan. And you have a good team. Like let's say 1987 IU. And you're a big fan of them. And you're watching that last shot by Keith Smart. And it goes in. And you just keep watching it. Or we can jump to the future in any moment where you love it so much. And you just keep watching it. You keep watching because you don't want to stop. You don't want to let it go. And that's what they're doing. And then all of a sudden, there are two beings there. Now, in a lot of commentaries, it refers to them as angels. In some translations, it refers to them as angels. And so, maybe they were, probably they were. It's also possible, and I like to think this, it may have been Moses and Elijah. Like they'd shown up for the transfiguration. And maybe it was the witnesses from Revelation. Maybe they get to witness all of these different important moments in history because that is his plan. We don't know. Again, that's not the important part. It's fun to talk about. It's fun to think about. But the important part is that they were there to remind the disciples, hey, this starts now. This isn't a go home and get rest. This isn't a go train. This is go now and be the church. Go now and talk. Go now and show Jesus everything that you are. And so they did it. They immediately went to do it. They obeyed and they followed him. Now again, we see this. And in the context of today, in the context of this sermon... In this scripture, we're like, well, yeah, they're the disciples. Well, again, in their very recent past, they had run from him. Peter had betrayed him by denying him. By fighting for him in a way that he hadn't called for. Everyone but John had ran and scared and been scared. Thomas had doubted. And he was probably not alone. So it wasn't taken for granted that they obeyed. But they had been changed by him. They knew who he was. They loved him. And they were his disciples now. More than ever. And so. They were to exemplify him. They realized this is our chance. This is our call. This is who we get to be. We get to be the church. 
All of the things that they'd been through were still on their minds, but now they knew we have to go. I have a quote from C.S. Lewis. And I know I use him a lot. I use Mr. Rogers a lot. I use Billy Graham a decent amount. The reason for that. When we think of disciples who give their all to whatever they're meant to do. Each of those three men do that. And they do it in different ways. And that's why it's so cool. Because we all have different ways to serve him. If everybody here was called to come up and play the bells. It would probably drive Jeff insane. And not all of us would sound that good. If everybody here was called to come up and be in the choir, Mary would probably walk out the door. No, she wants everybody to be here. Never mind. But we all have different gifts. We all have different callings. We all have different things that we offer and different people that will respond to us. And so each C.S. Lewis and Mr. Rogers and Billy Graham did it in different ways. And last week in my message in the contemporary, I talked about if they had switched, it wouldn't have been quite right. God still would have gotten his work done. But when we seek him in our way, when we find him, when we serve as we are called to serve, it means so much. And so what C.S. Lewis said was relying on God has to begin all over again every day as if nothing had yet been done. That does not mean you have to be resaved every day. It does not mean you have to relearn everything every day, but it means that each day we have to choose again to rely on him because sometimes we get too big for our britches. And also sometimes we get so down on something we've done, something we've, we've said, something that went wrong and it gets so hurtful and so hard. Like some of the disciples, imagine Peter. Imagine what it was like when he walked up to Jesus the first time he saw him after the resurrection. Everything that was going through his mind, the ways that he had failed, the ways that each of the disciples had failed, and yet they were forgiven. They chose to rely on him. And so sometimes we can say, I've been a Christian a real long time. I know how this goes. Huh? Things change. So we wake up and we say, I'm not losing my faith. I'm not losing my salvation, but I'm choosing to rely on him again. I'm giving him everything again today. I'm giving him everything. I'm going to be better. I'm going to grow. I'm going to witness. I'm going to be an example. I'm going to be better today than yesterday. And we do that every single day. Every day is a new chance. A new opportunity. Every day we get to choose again. Sometimes there are athletes who play their way into shape. One of the most famous was Shaquille O'Neal, who his first couple years, he came in and he was just a monster. He was like seven foot two, seven foot three, and, and 300 pounds, and it was all muscle, and he just tore through everybody. And then he discovered Burger King. And so he would go in the off season, and he would just kind of rest. He's like, I'm so great, I don't need to work anymore. Because he'd done it. He'd won a championship. He'd been an MVP. And so he said, I don't have to work anymore. And so he came in and he was out of shape. And over the course of the season, as hard as he played, he would eventually work his way into the shape by the finals. But it also changed his career now. He was still great, but he could have been so much greater. We look at somebody like Michael Jordan. His life was basketball. Now that's not the way to live for us, for anybody really. But it made him great every day and he always was ready. 
And we talk about him in that way still. Now, this isn't about us being talked about, and it's not about us being great. But when we go every day, learning to be better, growing to be better, striving to be better, we can show how great he is even more. We can show what he can do with us, what he can do for us, what he means to everyone. We can choose daily to win for him. Last part of the scripture here. Uh, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. During this time, when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. One of the things that stands out, how would you like to still be named Judas after all the things that had happened? Like, it's a rough call. This is their first big meeting. And it lists their names because it shows that they were all there, and Mary, and Jesus' brothers, and their wives, and Mary Magdalene, and everybody who had been touched by him. And they were in one room. This is the first church. This is the first core team meeting. This is the first all staff meeting. This is the first board meeting. This is the first everything. And it's all for him. This starts the process of building the church together. Of showing him to the world together. And it's not just about the 12 anymore. They're there and they're leading. But they are bringing other people in to lead, to show, to, to, to help. And Jesus' brothers had never really been a part of things before. But something changed after he came back. They realized who he was. They realized who they could be. And so they followed him and they were there. And I will guarantee this even though I wasn't there. All of the people in that room, they didn't agree all the time. There were some times where some of them thought, hey, the first church, the carpet should be this color. And some of them thought it should be this color. And they disagreed from time to time. But they all agreed on the most important thing. They all agreed on him. They all agreed to be his church. And so they followed him. And they went together leading for him, building for him. They began by setting an example of talking together, of working together, of worshiping together, of hoping together. Of showing us what the church can be, what it should be, what it will be. I have one more quote. Be a good witness. By the way that you live. The way that we live is often more convincing than the words we say. Doesn't mean our words aren't important. It doesn't mean we never have to share our testimony. It doesn't mean we don't quote scripture. It means that the way we live is how people see who Jesus is. And they see, does this match up with what they're saying? Does this match up with what I know of Jesus? Does this match up with something that I want to be? Is this attractive? Is this what a church can be? And that's what it means to be a witness. It doesn't mean having all the answers, because you're not going to. It doesn't mean being perfect, because you're not going to be. It means that each day you choose to live for Him and to live every second for him, doing everything you can to show him to the world that needs to see him. Doing everything you can to learn from your mistakes, to learn from from your past. 
but to put it behind you as you go forward, living again for Him, growing for Him. If I asked you to think about the people who have meant the most to your faith, Sunday school teachers, pastors, family members, when you truly picture a disciple in your life, I would imagine that we all can remember a few words here and there that they said. But for the most part, what we remember is the impact they had on our life. We remember who they were. We remember how they showed Jesus to us. That's what we're here for. That's what we're called to do. That's what we have a chance to practice what we preach, to plant the seeds, to show the love, to be like Jesus, to be the church. I've said this before and I will say it again. You may be the only example of Jesus someone sees in their day, in their week, in their month, in their life. Now it feels like pressure. But back to what Jesus said at the beginning. Once you're filled, once you've given your life to Him, you can't help but to live for Him. So allow Him to fill you. Allow Him to change you. Allow Him to work through you. And each day, wake up and be more like Him than the day before. That's all I got.